0: This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs.
1: I am Sam Knight.
0: It is Wednesday, which means it's time for another edition of Chip Chat, where the two Sams are joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hello. Chip is the policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, though he speaks only on his own behalf during our Wednesday Chip Chats
2: don't even want to claim ownership over the things i say on this program i just disavow everything completely
0: that's right that's right chip uh not not exactly uh standing by his words each week no not uh, at all no no you'd have to be very
2: foolish to stand by your words
0: in fact this episode will self-destruct in five days after airing all right uh we're going just real briefly. I've been I've been snacking on pizza flavored goldfish. I'm not sure if anybody else wants to share their snacks of the week here. Uh, I do
2: not want to share my snacks of the week, but I will say I have been gotten a lot of positive feedback about my endorsement of salt and vinegar kettle cooked chips. Mm. Multiple Chip Chat listeners have have reached out to me, telling me ah. Uh, what how right i am on that topic no one has ever reached out to me to tell me how right i was about like u.s imperialism or you know the espionage act but the chip chat audience is very passionate about salt and vinegar kettle cooked chips i'm also having some people uh suggesting i should move into wine recommendations which perhaps i will i will contemplate doing
1: Ooh. We would need to have. I have
2: a really great $8.99 wine I purchased at Target that is better than many $14.99 wines I purchase at the wine store. So,
1: <laughs> Try. how does it? How does it pair with salt and vinegar kettle chips, though? That's that's the real question. You can... That
2: is that is that is like a high level of of wine pairing. I, I don't I don't think I am that degree of um. Of wine pairing.
0: Trying to broaden our audience to include Nira Tandon now.
2: Yes, I'm sure she drinks eight ninety nine wine from Target with a big <laughs> bag of softened vinegar chips. I'm sure she's home doing that right now.
0: <laughs> Rage quick, tweeting. Quick, All right. Quick,
1: quick snack tip for me, which is that uh, kale pesto is good. Kale pesto uh, is is a very good spread to have on bagels. So. Oh. A big fan of kale pesto on bagels. Hmm.
2: I do enjoy using pesto as a spread. I put it on toast sometimes, but um I'm more of a traditional pesto kind of person. I tried arugula pesto once, and I did not like it. Huh. You know, I like both pesto and arugula.
1: well, i've I've been growing kale in my garden. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, trying to uh, stave off the quarantine uh, insanity and i've you know i'm not sure i could tell the difference between kale pesto and regular pesto quite frankly Uh, i might need to do a blind taste test
0: regular pesto is made from basil i believe correct yes Yes.
2: basil and pine nuts. i had some uh,
0: regular regular pesto last night for dinner with some gnocchi i'd hardly Mm. consider it a snack but it was a tasty dinner all right all right enough of this uh chip we saw over the last week the president seem to um, I wouldn't say so much soften his stance on Maduro as much as uh, uh, reduce his favorability toward Guaido and express second thoughts about um, getting behind Guaido in Venezuela. And as soon as as soon as the president expressed these second givings, Joe Biden jumps out with a tweet uh, saying that Trump has actually been soft on Venezuela and that he would go much, much harder. Chip, take it away.
2: I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. The comment, I mean, there's been a number of bits of speculation of that Trump is soft in Juan Guaido. I saw somewhere that Trump suggested Juan Guaido doesn't have what it takes, which is sort of an objective fact at this point, given Juan Guaido has not been very successful at overthrowing the government of Venezuela. I don't think anyone... Can, can actually dispute that. He's a bit of a clown. Uh, but the latest quote is something from Axios where Trump was asked whether he would meet with Maduro and Trump said, I would maybe think about that. Maduro would like to meet and I've never been opposed to meetings, you know, rarely opposed to meetings. I always say you lose very little with meetings, but at this moment I've turned them down. Uh you know pretty banal quote I don't I don't have much of a reaction to it there's there's not a whole lot there to think about but then this whole thing came out you know Trump is softening on Maduro and then you get all these people well Trump loves dictators Trump loves Putin Putin loves Maduro just all sorts of other sort of you know garbage takes and then of course Joe Biden has to come out with this tweet um Trump talks tough in Venezuela but admires thugs and dictators like Nicolas Maduro as president I will stand with the Venezuelan people and for democracy so of course Trump retaliates to this tweet in the only way he knows how which is on the Twitter as well and just you know lets us know that he's still very strong on um overthrowing the government of Venezuela and he would only meet with Maduro to discuss Hem resigning, um, And, you know, if this tweet pushes Trump to be more aggressive on Venezuela, then it's really very dangerous. I mean, the Trump administration is escalating its sanctions on Venezuela. It's also escalating its sanctions on Iran. Earlier this month, we saw this huge uh, potential for catastrophe where Iran, which has been blocked from selling crude oil by U.S. sanctions— Made the decision to, which is its right as a sovereign nation, to 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 give gasoline to to Venezuela. Venezuela, even though they have large oil reserves, uh, doesn't currently have much capacity for refining the crude oil, partially due to the fact that the chemicals needed to do that are are blocked by sanctions. So Venezuela actually has an acute fuel shortage right now. And so Venezuela is not allowed to buy fuel because of the sanctions. Iran is not allowed to sell it because of their sanctions. So Venezuela and Iran decided to do, you know, to do business with each other, which, you know, once again is is both nations rights. And, you know, blocking a nation from having fuel in the middle of a um, I mean, blocking a nation from having fuel is is ridiculous. You know, regardless of what that government is doing, you're punishing the civilian population. And you know, in the middle of a pandemic, that's that's even worse. But Iran did this very bit bold move where they sent five tankers of of fuel to to um to Venezuela. And you know, I read the Financial Times every morning, and as they pointed out, you know, uh, Iran, per the Financial Times, when they usually defy sanctions. You know, they turn the ship's radar off. They reroute them a lot to avoid being intercepted. You know, that makes sense. The British have seized an Iranian tanker before in in Gibraltar, uh, arguing it was, you know, carrying oil to Syria in violation of the EU embargo. But in, in this case, though, they, you know, left the radar on. They didn't change the route. They were very, very, very open about what they were doing. And they flat out said that, you know, they've gotten warnings from two countries. The U.S. sent uh, – this is what a uh, self-described in the rumors of the Financial Times Iranian regime insider told them, um, you know – Our policy towards the U.S. has changed from a defensive to an offensive approach. The U.S. sent us a message through two regional states that we will hit your tankers if you proceed. Our answer was clear. If you hit us, we'll hit back. And they know we would do so without a second of hesitation. So you had this situation where the whole world was watching these tankers go to Venezuela to bring badly needed fuel to a country that is under sanctions. And there was a real fear that the U.S. would attack those tankers in international water, or they would try to block them and escalate it. And that could provoke a war with both Iran and Venezuela simultaneously. So Trump has been putting us on a very dangerous path with both of those nations. Um, As we've talked about before, for Biden to come out, you know, just weeks after this and say, ah, Trump's not really tough on Venezuela, you know, knowing that Trump has an easily bruised ego, knowing that Trump is a loose cannon, knowing that Trump has been gunning for war with multiple nations, knowing that Trump would would love to take us into war. You know, that's a really reckless move on on whoever does Biden's Twitter account's part. I don't I don't think Biden is sitting there tweeting anything.
1: Well, another disturbing aspect of this uh, story or, well, I don't know if it's necessarily an aspect of this story, but it's it's certainly related. This morning, Politico is reporting that Joe Biden's foreign uh, policy team is refusing to have any contact with any foreign official. And in doing so, they're citing the uh, <clears throat> The uh, Trump administ, or sorry, that President Trump, trying to work with foreign governments to to dig up dirt on his opponents. Obviously, in 2016, it was uh, Russia, was the uh, was the was the big alleged uh, culprit there. Uh, I mean, they, I'm sure they did it, but whatever. Anyway, uh, this year, uh, Biden is talking, uh, sorry, Trump is talking about openly talking about getting help from Xi Jinping, the president of China. And in reporting this, Politico seems to have buried a lead, which is that Joe Biden has a thousand foreign policy uh, people working for his campaign. A what thousand you, foreign policy people. What, what do you? What do they do? How many? How many foreign
0: policy people does it require to advise Joe Biden?
2: I mean, probably it a thousand given given his amount of, of sense but unfortunately i don't think he's hired anyone with
1: sense
0: so. you're correct it's a thousand
1: <laughs> yeah it, 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 it seems it seems to uh it, it, it's flashing a huge warning sign for me which is that you know he's onboarding a thousand people because he has some really shitty plans and maybe i wouldn't think that but for a few days ago as you noted he uh, Biden is trying to escalate with Venezuela it seems
2: I mean I think he also accused the Trump administration of being soft on Cuba or that Cuba got some sort of UN position and and Biden blamed Trump for this it was yes Biden blamed Trump for Cuba push to rejoin UN Human Rights Council um <laughs> Joe Biden tweeted out on May 15th Trump's international failures have cleared a path for Cuba to join the UN Human Rights Council. This would betray Cuba's political prisoners and further undermine U.S. diplomacy. As president, I will lead by empowering the Cuban people and defending human rights. Like, like, first of all, what year is it? Is it like 1963? And I, I missed the fact that we've gone back to like, you know, the, the 1960s days of the Cold War. Like, I don't understand this fixation on on cuba on biden's part but cuba is another nation you know obama took some steps to normalize relations with cuba not as many as i think he should have done it still and one, had, one
0: of his better foreign policy moves yeah, uh and yes, now joe biden's yes. running away from it
2: yes he is um you know and in the same way that i believe you know when hillary clinton ran for president she walked away from some of Obama's foreign policy moves saying he was too tough on Israeli settlements and, you know, not willing to take enough military action in Syria. Ah, uh, you know, the, you know, the only sort of bright sides of Obama's foreign policy. And, you know, most of the establishment Democrats are, you know, interested in undermining and and tearing them up. And I was never an Obama supporter. I think i I've mentioned on here that, you know, you know, in 2007, I was a supporter of Dennis Kucinich during the primary uh, because of his, you know, great foreign policy stances. I ended up voted for Nader. I I supported wow. Sanders. Wow. Yeah, I you're, voted
0: you're, for Obama. You're, you're one of the few who, uh, who read and, and saw Obama for the fraud in 2008 even.
2: I mean, it wasn't that hard. He was talking about during the debates how he wanted to do more drone strikes in Pakistan, right? Three days into his presidential administration, he does his first drone strike, but he's talking about it during the campaign. I, I repeatedly pulled up the New York Times article from 2007 and 2008, you know, real time what he's saying and what he's doing and it was not it should not have been a surprise to anyone it was out in the open who he was and what he wanted i I, i'm not sure why people thought he was i mean i i think you know some people thought he was lying right you have to pretend to be hawkish if you're gonna run for president i believed obama at face value when he said he wanted to send more troops to afghanistan and escalate drone strikes in pakistan I, i i don't know i don't know why you'd lie about that yeah, well, I, I, I didn't envision, uh, you know, the, the, the degree and depths of depravity of his drone program. I, I I couldn't have predicted that. But, you know, I was with, you know, a real anti-war candidate, Kucinich, and I voted for, for Nader. So I, I've never been an Obama backer. I voted for Stein in the election after that. Yeah, um, me
0: too.
1: I, yeah, happy to say I voted for Jill Stein in 2012. Uh, 2008, I... What can I say? I, uh, I fucked up the, uh, (laughs) I, I, I think there was a similar feeling or, or a, um, like a a fraction of, of the mood that we have now, which is that people were, um, really excited to, to get rid of George W. Bush and that Obama was like, you know, obviously better than John McCain and, um, uh, Hillary Clinton had loads of baggage too, but it, it was just a massive fuck up all around uh, for, for for me and other people who weren't more critical of Obama. And uh, now a lot of Obama's um, old staffers are included in this coterie of a thousand, the, the thousand advisors, uh, uh, you know, advising Emperor Biden or whatever about world affairs. And among them, we have Tony Blinken, a former deputy secretary of state, Jake Sullivan, former top State Department official. Um, I know Blinken has has been on the record saying that he thought that Obama was too soft uh, with regards to the civil war in Syria. This doesn't really bode well. Like, I kind of feel like from here until November, I should be like knocking doors for the Green Party in swing states because Democrats never seem to learn their fucking lesson.
2: You know, August 1st, 2007, headline from Reuters 13 years ago, tough talk on Pakistan from Obama. Whole article is about Obama's proposed Pakistan policy. This is August 1st, 2007. I, I think it was very clear. As someone who supported Kucinich at this time, I think it was very clear uh why obama's foreign policy was not going to be good
0: well we did see uh joe biden just before his tweets about venezuela also tweet out that trump has gone soft on china and suggest that uh
2: reoccurring theme uh he had bonkers ad about about china um i mean the democrats love running hawkish campaigns against hawkish republicans trying to say they're you know more hawkish than they are it's yeah i I mean i've made this comment before on this program but like the worst thing you can be accused of inside sort of the the media establishment media class is being you know insufficiently enthusiastic about the u.s empire so, you know, Democrats are just always very happy to levy this accusation against against Republican opponents. And obviously the Republicans have have weaponized that in a really um, perverse and awful way, as anyone who lived during the Bush years knows. Um,
0: yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. for. Honestly, uh, I'm waiting for Joe Biden. I'm waiting for Joe Biden to accuse the Trump administration of going soft on Iran.
2: You know, I, I sometimes feel like Democrats currently have gotten their campaign strategy from like fox news circa 2004 right like sometimes when they talk i feel like we're I'm, I'm watching fox news circa 2004 um like they thought that was a real winning winning message you know the bush administration and the right-wing pundits just accused everyone of treason who didn't want to who pointed out hey maybe iraq doesn't have weapons of mass destruction so you know that worked for them so well let's 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 use that type of language and rhetoric too. um yeah there's not a lot positive to say about the presidential election i mean you have one candidate who you know seems very clueless and out of touch and the other candidate is telling people to drink bleach uh i'm not i mean i mean don't i i i i i I don't know I've, i've never been a lesser of two evils kind of person uh, but when I, and Clearly I
0: not I, voting for a uh, Nader in, in 08. So I think
2: my vote doesn't really matter. But, you know, when I see the president of the United States in the midst of a pandemic telling people to drink bleach, I, I start to understand a little bit the lesser of two evil impulses. Yeah. Um, since that is like, you know, th- please don't listen to the president about drinking bleach is, is the level that we're at at this moment in time. Yeah, always, but.
1: I mean, that, that there is that, and that's true, and that in an ideal world, we wouldn't have a head of state uh, encouraging people to drink bleach during a pandemic. But I also see uh, a lot of people in the streets and I wonder, hey, uh, maybe it, it, maybe things don't, uh, things don't go the, uh, things go to the right's way, things go the conservatives way in the election uh, because the system is fucked. And because obviously Trump is now talking about uh, uh, mail-in ballots being being fraud, which they're not, but he's obviously like building up to maybe rig the election. But the <laughs> point is, is that maybe, ma- maybe Trump wins and who knows, we'll have a, uh, a, a union of uh, autonomous zone republic.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not encouraging people to, People should vote who they want to vote for in the election. Like I said, I've, I've never voted for a Democrat in a general election. I've also only ever voted in Maryland and D.C., so it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm not going to, like, finger wag at people how to vote. Either way, you know, you want to vote for Howie Hawkins or Gloria Reva or, or Joe Biden, that's that's your choice, you know, whatever. Um, I don't necessarily think four more years of Trump gets this a resurgent left. I'm not really an accelerationist here. Um, I also think that, you know, Obama's election definitely undercut sort of the left-wing social movements that were popping up, as did sort of the Democrats' rise to power in in 2006 in Congress. I mean, you had very big anti-war protests. You had huge immigrant rights protests. You had anti racist organizing around the Genesis 6 protests. And that all sort of evaporates during obama's first term but 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 by several years later you have occupy you have black lives matter i i, I don't know I, I i don't see joe biden being able to suck the energy out of the left in the same way obama did so i, I don't have that fear and i do uh, trump is i do worry about what a bar can do as attorney general which is not i'm not endorsing voting for joe biden you know i, I live in dc i'm I'm going to be voting for the Green Party, obviously, but
1: not PSL. They're not on my ballot. Oh, they're. Oh, shit. Okay, I guess I won't be voting for them either.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Chip, uh, one last uh, issue to address here before we uh, call it a day for Chip Chat. You mentioned 2004 Fox News. Speaking of that, let's bring up John Bolton. Uh, He's got a book out. That's... I'm not
2: reading it. I'm not reading his book. I mean, I suppose there is some historical merit to the memoir of an insider in a re- in a. I almost said regime. You know, a regime. Let's call sure. it a regime. Uh, regime insiders, as we know from the Financial Times, can have insights. I suppose if I was doing a his- history of the Trump administration ten years from now, I would look at it. Um, I'm sort of, like most normal people, very disgusted by the fact that he refused to testify during the impeachment and now has this book with all of the supposed revelations in it. Uh, I do know he comes across quite hawkish in it. No kidding. He describes Trump's decision not to bomb Iran because it would kill people and that would be disproportionate uh, to to them shooting down a, a drone as like the most irrational decision I've ever seen a president make, something ridiculous like that. That being said, the Trump administration's attempt to block Bolton's book is very disturbing, um, and is a really heavy-handed abuse of the classification system. Right, Bolton was if you if you if you sign one of those NDAs, you have to go through pre-class pre-publication review for classified information which I'm not totally wild about but the courts have upheld it and Bolton, you know, not to praise Bolton but by all accounts he made a a good faith effort to 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 do that he worked with a career a national security official who determined who suggested edits to Bolton Bolton made the edits they they suggested you know he gave back the manuscript and she told him that there was no classified information in the book and that he'd get approval to publish it later that day. And then some Trump, uh, hack man hatchet man comes in and says, actually, there is classified information. And I believe I I've seen that he hadn't even gone through the the training on how to know if something is classified or not before doing so. So like just totally politically motivated decision to say the book is classified. And then the Trump administration has a ridiculous request for had a ridiculous request for a temporary restraining order that would have, you know, required the publisher to get copies back from third parties and destroy it, which is just, I mean, that's that's very sinister. Obviously, the judge has refused to refused to grant that, but has, you know, not closed the door for Biden, not Biden, Bolton losing his royalties, which is what they're doing to Snowden or facing prosecution. And, you know, I'm not a Bolton fan, but, you know, this is clearly an abuse of the classification system to prevent a sort of very sensitive, very fragile man's ego from being bruised. And that's very scary from the standpoint of of press freedom, Yeah, you know. And I've been very outspoken about Assange. I've been very outspoken about Manning. So nobody, you know, tweeted me like, oh, we'll defend John Bolton. What about us Like, you know, every time, every time, you know, I, I, I've I've, you know, Sam, you know, I'm very uh, consistent on, on freedom of speech.
0: Yeah. Yes, you are. And, I am very uh,
2: consistent on this one.
0: I am uh, not. I am not as consistent. I but. know. <laughs> I
2: know. We know. We know. We know. We, 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 I, that is known. Uh, but
0: I, I just. I'm I'm guessing you don't think we need to start a a GoFundMe for John Bolton or anything to deal with this attack on his speech? No, I'm not starting
2: a GoFundMe for John Bolton. I'm not reading his book. I'm not giving him a platform, but, you know... There's the fact that a career official looked at the book. They went back and forth. They removed information. They decided there was nothing classified in it. And some Trump person who has also leaked information to David Nunes before comes in without ever ha- ha- having the proper training and saying, "Oh, actually, this is classified." And a judge is like, "Bolton, bet wrong. There was class. It's just, it's it's abusive. It's it's a serious threat and." You know, I have no illusions that the classification system and the Espionage Act hasn't been used to, like, you know, jail whistleblowers and and degrade press freedom. But you know, like with with everything else with Trump, it's it's both sort of an escalation of what's already been going on and just much cruder and more blatant, which. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to John Bolton. Probably nothing. He's an establishment insider. But, you know, if if Trump is able to take down an establishment insider for publishing a book that's mean about him and abusing the classified information system to do so, I'm not very happy with the state of things in the country
0: yeah it seems like a lose-lose situation here i mean uh my guess is that uh trump loses here bolton's book gets published and he makes a shit ton of money
2: at this point it's whether or not he could face criminal penalties for having done so or lose his lose his royalties yeah i don't
0: think that's going to happen i think he's going to be fine but uh if it does happen that's a huge problem too so uh heads 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 the bad guys win tails we lose all say. right. Chip.
2: That's Chip Chat.
0: That's Chip Chat. You can follow Chip on Twitter at ChipGibbons89.
2: And I believe we've decided next week we'll be uh, discussing the Blue Leaks.
0: That's right. We're going to take some and time with the Blue Leaks. And perhaps
2: will unveil my wine recommendation that week.
0: Oh, man. That's, uh, that's a hell
1: of a tease right there.
2: wine recommendation. But it's just, as good as many fourteen ninety
1: nine wine. We just got to make sure it pairs well with... Uh... With kettle
2: chips. Yeah, if you drink enough of any wine, anything will pair fine with
1: it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Chip, uh, real quick, uh, in case people didn't listen to last week's Chip Chat, you've got a new podcast out, right? I've
2: got a new podcast. It's called Still Spying. It is based on the Still Spying on Dissent uh, FBI report I published. It's a limited edition podcast. How many episodes will there be? Maybe there'll be three, maybe there'll be eight uh the secret plan is for eight episodes can i pull that off i don't know but we had on the current episode mike german who is a former um fbi agent turned whistleblower turned aclu lobbyist and currently at the Brennan center uh, alex vitale will be making an appearance alex vitale the police abolitionist, will be making an appearance later in the series uh, i've been lining up some interviews this morning about fred hampton's assassination which will be an exciting episode, so check it out.
0: Yeah, and I await the uh, Sam and I both await your invite for uh, an episode Snapchat. for us to appear on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam's uh,
2: tell me what aspect of the FBI you'd like to discuss. Between. I mean,
0: we've just been covering the FBI for what? How long have we been doing this now, Sam? Six years. So uh, that's about all we can say.
2: Sam, chat. All right, I'm I'm open to it. <laughs>